0: This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain.
1: And good afternoon, everyone, on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. And uh, of course, everybody now. Everybody works for the weekend, of course, but everybody
2: working for this big, long holiday weekend. And uh, uh, are you ready for it, Claudette? No, I never am. Uh, My family like to usually just go out of town for the weekend, but I'm never, you know, if I do join them, it'll be very, very late because I'm one that has to prepare for myself. I don't like just going and just getting by on like hot dogs and homemade (laughs) bread, I need to have my full, everything healthy out of the cupboard and making all these prepared meals so I can just heat and eat. So I feel that it's, it's a task. Right. So what about you? I don't camp. No, I don't camp either. I like going to people's <laughs> cabins that have <laughs> electricity. <laughs>
1: electricity and plumbing, I'm
2: really yes. cool with,
1: yeah. you know, there's certain developments um that you don't want to do without that I can't uh live without. Uh that makes me a little bit soft, I suppose, but I don't mind like you say now going out around the bay and just enjoying the outdoors
2: yeah different scenery just anywhere
1: yeah i uh, i'm a big fan of nature and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing but i do like a little warm bed at night and if i have to pee i'd rather do it uh using porcelain (laughs) Um,
2: yes of course you're you're not alone there
1: But what will it be like this weekend? It's nice (sighs) out there now. The temperature is slowly, ever so slowly starting to creep up a bit. Well, I thought now's the time, you know, because people are thinking about it, longing for that long weekend to get a little update. Uh, So here's meteorologist David Neal with the Gander, the Environment Canada Weather Centre in Gander. Well, hello, David Neal. Good day. How's it going? Good, good. So, uh, give us the news now. Are we going to be wearing uh, sweaters or parkas this uh, coming May 24th weekend, or can we finally break out the shorts and t shirts?
3: Uh, for pretty well, uh, pretty well, most of the island, uh, probably somewhere in the middle, actually, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of May 24th weekend, especially looking really at the the, the first half of the weekend, uh, really not too, too bad in terms of uh, in terms of weather conditions, really uh, late to, late in the day Friday and through much of the day Saturday. A lot of places looking at daytime highs in the in the mid to high teens uh for for quite a few areas on sa- through Saturday and even in the sunday as well uh I know in the extended forecast uh for for northeastern newfoundland got a te- got a high temperature with a two in it so uh with a high twenty so we'll see how that uh, shapes up but certainly uh certainly as we get in through uh through much of the weekend looking at daytime highs generally in that mid to high teens range for most of the weekend. Uh, with that, though, it um, does look like a fairly breezy weekend for the most part. Uh, southwesterly winds will kind of pick up uh, uh, really through um, uh, kind of getting more uh, more into the day on, on Thursday, and they kind of stick around off and on across the island really through most of the weekend. There's some, time, some periods where we'll have, there'll be a bit of a lull and things like that, so fairly breezy, nothing too, too significant, but certainly, uh, certainly, uh, quite uh, quite gusty at times for 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 a lot of for, for several areas of the island. Uh, so temperature wise, not too bad. Precipitation wise, not too bad until we get into Sunday. Once we start moving into uh, through the day Sunday, looking at. Um an area of showers that uh, looks like it's going to progress its way across the island. Uh, some areas still might get away with uh, having most of the day on Sunday uh, with pretty fair conditions um, uh, but uh, a few areas, especially uh, western Newfoundland, probably going to see those showers move in a little earlier in the day and then parts of eastern Newfoundland as well could uh, could see some uh, some, some uh, spotty showers through uh, a, a chunk of the day on, on Sunday. So most most of the weekend not looking too bad uh, but as uh, yes, as we get into kind of the late day Sunday into Monday time frame, uh, possibility of a little bit more unsettled weather coming in for the last half of the weekend.
1: So where will be the best spots then uh, on the uh, in the province for camping or trouting?
3: Uh, well, basically, uh, in terms of uh, kind of the longest period with, uh, with with kind of those more fair conditions, really looking at areas of uh, north, parts of northeastern and central Newfoundland, uh, getting some warmer temperatures there, um, particularly areas a bit more in, in, inland, uh, uh, probably won't be, uh, the, the wind should be a little bit, uh, a, a little weaker that said uh, still still fairly good southwesterly flow setting up across most of the island uh, pretty well through uh, through through most of the weekend but in terms of having that those kind of more fair weather conditions kind of holding off on the precipitation for as long as possible you're probably looking more into the northeastern uh, northeastern part of the island uh, to get kind of that longest period of time where where things are going to stay uh, quite dry, so um, that's looking shaping up to be uh, to be kind of the the, the the better area for the weekend. Um, but uh, certainly uh, f- uh, f- still looking at some fairly breezy conditions, as I mentioned through uh, through a good a good portion of the weekend. As far
1: as the long term goes, have we finally broken that uh, cooler, wetter kind of trend
3: that a lot have seen? Uh, it certainly looks like as we uh, as we kind of get into later part of this week and into the weekend, we should should start to see temperatures kind of creep up through. Uh, uh, really, as we get into the weekend, so looking at uh, some daytime highs that are going to start to get more into into the teens. So, um, so we we are starting to get out of that uh, out of that uh, overall uh, more dreary flow that we have, we've been seeing. Uh, for quite a while, especially as we get now into uh, into the later part of this week, when those winds do come around to that more uh, southwesterly direction that should bring up some uh, some some warmer temperatures for sure throughout this weekend
1: David Neil fingers crossed I really appreciate this thanks not a problem thank you so a little bit breezy, uh perhaps some rain moving in on sunday, but uh temperatures in the mid to high teens, and he said there 's a possibility of a two in there for some areas so uh A mixed bag, I guess, but not bitterly cold. That's the main thing. But,
2: you know, until we actually get to the weekend, one never knows. There's always going to be some sort of a monkey wrench thrown in there. Those winds could very well be too strong to be out on a boat. Who knows?
1: Well, it's windy is never good for trouting anyway. No, true. Anyway, (laughs) take that into consideration depending on your plans the weekend. Uh, When we come back after the break, the federal government today introduced amendments to the Criminal Code to strengthen bail requirements for violent repeat offenders. We'll hear what uh, some of the government ministers and the opposition had to say about that coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking.
1: And we're back. Well, the federal government today introduced amendments to the Criminal Code to strengthen bail requirements for violent repeat offenders. The government is introducing bail changes for criminals charged with serious violent crime, including uh, those who use a weapon and who have been convicted of a similar offense within the last five years to face reverse onus in order to get bail. Basically, what that means is they have to prove to the court... It's not up to the prosecution anymore, but uh, the the accused will have to prove to the court why they should be released. Well here's Minister of Public Safety Marco Mendicino.
0: Today's announcement is about keeping our communities safe. The bail reform legislation we've just tabled in the House of Commons zeroes in on repeat violent offenders who use guns and other weapons. With this proposed law, the onus will now be on them to justify to a court why they shouldn't remain in custody as they wait for a trial. In preparing this legislation, as you've heard Minister Lamedi explain, we engaged with provincial, territorial, and municipal partners, as well as police leaders and community advocates. And within our own government, we have worked very closely with our colleagues uh, right across the benches, including, and I'd like to single out, Minister Bennett, who does extraordinary work uh, in advancing our mental health strategy. And that cuts right to the core of the way in which we can stop crime and loss and tragedy before it occurs. And I look forward to ongoing collaboration uh, with you, Carolyn. Bill C-48 reflects the broad consensus that we heard we must strengthen our bail system to keep communities safer. For workers riding a bus or a subway. For parents who send their kids to school. For families who are going for a walk in their own neighborhood. This legislation is about them and indeed all Canadians so that we can keep them safe. And it will help to separate those offenders from the community to achieve that goal. Bill C-48 is one part of our comprehensive strategy to tackle gun crime and keep Canadians safe. Our plan is based on three priorities, strong laws, strong borders, and strong prevention. On strong laws, in addition to today's bill, bail reform legislation, we are taking major steps forward through Bill C-21 three years ago, this government banned assault-style firearms like the AR-15, which were designed for a battlefield and have no place in our communities. We're now taking steps to strengthen that national ban, as recommended by the Mass Casualty Commission out of Nova Scotia. And just about a year ago, we banned the sale, purchase and transfer of handguns, which have become the number one type of gun used in homicides. These are two key elements of Bill C-21, Canada's most significant gun control legislation in a generation. The legislation will also raise maximum sentences against gun traffickers and introduce red and yellow flag laws to address the relationship between domestic abuse and gun violence, which disproportionately impacts women and young girls. As we speak, Bill C-21 is being debated in the House and we're making good progress with the support of the NDP and the Bloc Québécois.
1: So that is Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino just a short while ago during that news conference uh, where they outlined he and um, the uh, Justice Minister um, new amendments to the criminal code to strengthen bail requirements for violent repeat offenders. And um, the opposition leader Pierre Pierre Poilievre uh, spoke to reporters just before uh, this announcement. He accuses government of introducing the same so-called catch and release measures already in place, but his comments before reporters in Ottawa got a bit testy today when he was challenged by some of those reporters as to what exactly he means by some of what he's saying. Here's how some of that went just a short while ago.
4: Justin Trudeau's catch and release bail system that he passed in Bill C-75 with the help of the NDP, has unleashed a wave of violent crime across the country. Uh, Canadians rallied to reverse Trudeau's catch and release bail policy after the tragic murder of Constable Pershella by a violent repeat offender who was out on bail. Today, liberals announced measures on bail that would have continued to release the same killer who killed Constable Priscilla. In other words, they have not reversed catch and release. They want to continue with the same Trudopian policies supported by the NDP that have done catch and release and caused a massive crime wave across this country. A common sense, conservative government will reverse Trudeau's catch and release. We will bring in laws that require repeat violent offenders who are newly arrested for violence to to stay behind bars with jail, not bail. Jail, not bail, until their trial is done and their sentence is complete. When you talk about bail, the crime has already happened, the alleged crime has already happened. So. How can you attribute bail to this increase in crime, and not should we should there not be more supportive measures to prevent the crime in the first place? Well, <laughs> the, uh, the if you're talking about someone being on bail, they've already allegedly committed the crime. So where, you know, they're committing crimes on bail. <laughs> That's the problem. The problem is, I'll give you an example. In Vancouver, the same forty offenders were arrested 6,000 times in a year. That's 150 arrests per offender per year. Why? Because they're arrested in the morning, then they're released on bail by noon, they re-offend, they're back in jail by two in the afternoon, and then they're released by the evening so that they can commit their final crime it, before it, they it, go to bed. the a failure of the, the system to not support people who have committed crimes, gone to jail, Serve their their sentence, to let, uh, you know, and then they're committing another crime. So is this not a failure of
0: things like social services and support for people who have committed crimes? Are, you, seri- are you serious?
4: Another- I'm asking a No, question. I mean, are you serious? Come on, you're no, telling me. You no, excuse me. Let, let me answer please. your question. Are you honestly saying that it's society's fault if a repeat violent offender? Commit 60 or 70 offenses. I think that criminal is to blame for his own actions. He is personally responsible. We're not talking about some kid who made one mistake when he was 19. We're talking about people who do 60, 70 violent offenses. Why do those people and then do those they're be- because they're criminals. But why are they criminals? Because they do crime. And why do they do crime? Because we let them out early on bail.
2: So because I they got I think we've that solved out-
4: the riddle here. Because they got let out early on bail, that's right. They then commit the crime. That's right. So, that's what the, that's what all the experts agree is the cause of the crime. So, have they stayed in jail the whole time on on bail in in jail, not on bail, as you say? they would then not commit crimes? Because they'd be in jail, so they when couldn't commit crimes. And when they get out at the end of their sentence, they're crime-free? Well, they, we, we can't guarantee that, but what we can guarantee is the period when they're behind bars, they will not be able to do crime.
0: But you seriously don't think that there's gotta be some I mean, help with
4: homelessness, mental health, Look. things like that? There's gotta be some other thing than just locking people up. First of all, the, what I'm proposing would ultimately lead to less people being locked up. During the previous Conservative government, the the incarceration levels went down because, because we targeted the repeat violent offenders with stiffer jail penalties. Now, and we gave rehabilitation to a young person who made a mistake to get them fixed up and back out into a good life. That makes sense. But we're talking here, do you know, that? here's the good news, we have very few criminals in Canada. It's a tiny minority. Like I said, in Vancouver, if you took those 40 offenders off the street, you'd have 6,000 fewer people hit over the head with a baseball bat or stabbed at a transit station. It's just 40 people. So take the worst, most chronic reoffenders, put them behind bars. Is there homelessness? Yes, Trudeau has caused housing costs to double. Naturally, because of the misery that his woke economic policies have caused people, particularly the poorest people, There's more homelessness, there's more mental health breakdown, there's more misery than ever before. People are asking for help with medical assistance in dying because they can't afford the cost of food. That is what you're gonna get when you increase the cost of government and you drive up inflation taxes and interest rates. It's also what you're gonna get when you legalize crack, heroin, and cocaine as Trudeau and the NDP have done in BC and it's exactly what you're gonna get when you use tax dollars to give out free hard drugs to addicts. All of this has caused the phenomenon of everything being broken after eight years of Justin Trudeau.
1: So, uh, a testy Pierre Poilievre, and uh, some reporters in Ottawa, and this was just before the uh, federal government announcement regarding uh, this new bill um, that uh, places reverse onus on uh, someone charged with a criminal offense on proving to the court that they should have bail. Any thoughts on that? You're welcome to give us a call. Well, the City of St. John's officially unveiled a new mural on Harvey Road behind the rooms today. It's a Come Home Year initiative that showcases the theme of home. VOCM's Richard Duggan was on Harvey Road for the official launch. Here's some of what area MHA John Abbott, representative of the rooms Kate Woolsworth, had to say today.
5: I'm a great fan and supporter of public art, uh, whether it's in this form, statues and the like. And uh, we're doing a lot of that of late and hopefully that will continue. And certainly next year, the Year of the Arts, uh, that uh, we will see more public art, uh, projects uh, right around the uh, right around the province. This is an area that I grew up in, and I was just mentioning to uh, one of my friends here. This particular area just below here was an area that I we would toboggan. I went to St. Pat's just up around the corner, so this was our route uh, for for the winter, but also for the summer. And we would hang around this area, and we're very familiar with this retaining wall because. Uh, Need to say, we'd scramble above it. We would not do any graffiti. That was uh, beyond uh, our, our limits. And I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful and really put a call out that this p- particular piece of art uh, is going to be respected by everybody who travels back and forth uh, on Harvey Road. Uh, so we got to keep uh, vigilant uh, on that as well. The other thing that uh, I think is important uh, to just reflect on is that Come Home Year 2022 was a stupendous success, whatever word you want to use. And I'm glad to see that this project rolled over into 2023 because it will be a continuation of the things that we've uh, celebrated last year we will hopefully be able to build on that this year and then as i said for the year of the arts next year we'll be even bigger and better for the for the arts community right across the province so i want to congratulate the artists and for the great work you've done it just just got to meet her so i uh, will hopefully have a further conversation whether the project she has in mind and things that she would like to see happen here in the city so i want to thank everyone for coming out here today i want to thank the city the mayor uh, the deputy mayor uh, councillor hickman and others uh, for supporting this type of uh, work here in the city and in particular the district of st john's east kitty so if you got more for this district bring it on thanks folks
2: Hello, everybody. I think this is the first opening I've been to on a sidewalk, so <laughs> it's always a new experience. Um, the room, so is really thrilled to be invited to participate in the selection of the artists for this mural, and we're so happy with the result. It's such a wonderful addition to our neighbourhood. I'm already hearing from our staff that they feel safer uh, walking along this street, and it really shows the benefit and the possibilities and potential of... Um, artwork in a civic space to uh, just improve the overall life and well-being of our citizens and our tourists as well. So our staff are really going to enjoy um, making sure that our visitors to the rooms know about this mural and that they uh, include this as part of their visit to the rooms. So I really appreciate, again, being involved, and I thank everyone who uh, who helped make this happen for for the people of this place. So that was
1: um, MHA, John Abbott, and um, the room's representative, Kate Woolsworth, about the opening of that uh, uh, mural uh, just below the rooms on that big retaining wall there, if you're familiar, on Harvey Road in St. John's today. We're up to news time now, but when we come back, um, making the most of the shoulder seasons, we'll talk to one tourism operator about their busy spring. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOC along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The V.O.C.M. All Night Show. Midnight on your V.O.C.M.
1: And this fast-breaking news story
0: just came in as uh, Jolene was
1: reading her, her weather. Um, it's from the FFAW, and uh, you may not know, but uh, both sides, the FFAW and the Association of Seafood Producers, have been uh, into negotiations all day today. Well, according to the FFAW, who just issued this release, Premier Andrew Fury uh, played an intervening role between the union and the ASP today. Uh, the FFAW says, the premier's intervention signals the extent of the current crisis and the need for action to find an agreeable solution for harvesters, according to the union. The bargaining committee has been clear, uh, as they have been over the last few weeks, that there is no willingness to fish unless companies move above the 220 minimum price. And um, the ASP says uh, market conditions now are below that level. Uh, discussions are planned to continue this evening between the two parties, along with Premier Andrew Fury. The premier. Uh, the FFAW says has committed to making changes to the process and that next season will not be the same, promising to work towards a pricing formula that will ensure fairness, transparency and stability for the industry. However, an immediate solution is still needed to get the fishery underway this year. As noted, work will continue this evening and further updates will be provided when available. So they're still hard at it, but the Premier now involved in an intervening role, role between the FFAW and the ASP to bring an end to the this impasse uh, in the crab fishery. Well, in another matter, it's been a busy spring season for the Sea of Wales. It's a tourism operator based in Trinity on the Bonavista Peninsula. Shauna Prince of Sea of Wales joins me now. Well, hello, Shauna. Hi there. How are you? Great. Thanks for taking some time now out of your very busy day to have a quick chat with us. Uh, And we've been talking to a number of operators in recent weeks. Um, It used to be one time that the season, the tourism season, never used to get started until what? May, sometimes June, July, (laughs) July 1st for some people. (laughs) Um,
6: But it's, it's getting earlier. You find the same thing? We do. We've always had a really strong shoulder season in our area. We tend to have whales hanging around uh, or coming in early and hanging around later. So we're really fortunate there. Um, And I know people in this region have worked really hard um, on seasonal extension over the years. So um, we're certainly seeing sort of the, the beginning and end of the season edging out and out a little bit every year.
1: Now, when we think about uh, whales, we often think about the humpbacks and putting on those great performances, usually in June and July when the capelins start moving in. But are you seeing many whales now?
6: Yeah, we've had, um, I mean, it's early in our season, still. So we typically don't start until uh, the long weekend, but we, we ended up out earlier this year. Um, and so we have seen humpbacks, fin whales, minke whales, and sperm whales already this season, and we've had whales on every trip we've done so far.
1: Fantastic. And sperm whales, they're not ones that you often hear tell of.
6: Well, typically, um, sperm whales, you have to be off the continental shelf or, or um, you know, around volcanic islands to see them because they tend to frequent really deep areas. Um, in our region, both in Trinity and Bonavista Bay, um, and we operate in both, uh, we have really deep trenches that uh, come up into both bays. And so we have had sperm whales here for a really long time. Um, they're just not ones that typically are um, talked about as much as the others. So yeah, it's kind of great to see them. So we've got at least two in the area right now. I'm just going through the id photos that we have um and i would suspect there's more we've had up to um, eight or nine in the same trench at the same time before
1: that's fantastic so when they dive they dive for a while
6: (laughs) they do it's a bit of a waiting game uh which is nice when there's lots in the area so they're sort of all coming up at different times um but yeah they can be down for you know upwards of an hour when they go down so yeah it's a long time
1: you say there's two there now do they tend
6: to travel in pods the sperm whales um the ones that we have here are all um males they form uh, bachelor pods they're called sort of like a feeding group um in the northern climates and then they really only spend time with the females when they're uh when they're at this age um when it's breeding time so the females tend to be um, smarter and stay in warmer water as we say <laughs> uh, so yeah it's all all boys here and they tend to form these um these little feeding groups that we see
1: When they come to the surface, do they stay for a while or do they just sort of have a breath and take off again?
6: Yeah, they're very different than other whales that way. So when they are done, they're really deep dive. They stay on the surface for quite a long time. The old whaler's rule of thumb was that for every minute they're down, they take one breath on the surface. So if we have a 45 minute dive, then typically we have around 45 breaths before they dive again. They're also really nice to photograph because they give you a bit of a wind up and a warning that they're doing the big dive where they'll bring their tail out. And so so, you know, if you can't get your camera up and ready um, when you've been given, you know, like a one-minute warning sort of thing, <laughs> I don't know what else I can do for you. So we we get some really beautiful photographs of those tails, and they come really far out of the water, and you have a really long time to get your camera ready to go. So it's, it's kind of nice um, with those guys. They make it really easy.
1: How do they compare in size to, say, a humpback?
6: Um, very different shape but similar in size. The boys tend to be quite large compared to the girls. Um, and so anywhere from you know 30 to 50 feet and around the same in terms of weight so uh, about one ton per foot-ish for those types of whales and that's sort of what we see um, for humpbacks as well just sperm whales are sort of narrow across the top and very deep down into the water with that funny little like trapdoor mouth stuck on the bottom um, so very different shape um, but they're the other whales here that bring their tails out of the water so typically when we're getting reports of whales from people it's like well did you see the tail and we can be fairly certain usually that it's a humpback but um, in our waters right now with these guys around if someone saw a It could be a sperm whale, it could be a humpback, you never know. We've actually even had fin whales um, bring their tails out of the water sometimes here as well. Is that right? Yeah, really cool looking tail also. (laughs) Is that right? Because you
1: think of fin whales as kind of like the the racing cars of...
6: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. They're like greyhounds, very fast, very streamlined. But yeah, we have seen a couple of situations where um, they've brought their tails out before too, and it's really cool to see. It's really um, clean and sleek. Um, Yeah, really cool.
1: And, of course, the real
6: show show boats, I guess, are the, <laughs> the humpbacks. So you're, you're already seeing some? We are already seeing humpbacks, yeah. The ones that we see now we call um, scouts, so they're ones that come in early and tend to kind of come in and see what's on the go. Um, been a fair amount of feeding activity. Uh, most of what we've seen, you can see the vertebra sticking out. So that's not uncommon for um, earlier arrivals and, and early arrivals anyway. They, um, when they're on the feeding grounds or when they leave the feeding grounds, don't really feed again until they um, return here. So when they're on the breeding and calving grounds, um, they've sort of you know stored up um, the blubber that they need to sustain them for for the winter. Um, and so they tend to be pretty pretty scrawny by the time they get back here. So it's nice to see them fatten up, um, and it's kind of fun when we get to see some early when they arrive and then we get to see them later in the season as well and get them you know see them rounding out and fattening up and you know you're so proud like you cooked and fed them yourself but (laughs) of course i couldn't feed, i couldn't cook enough to keep a a a humpback in in capelin for sure what's your favorite um, I, I kind of like the mysterious ones, the ones that are not as well known. So I, I really enjoy doing the ID work with all of the species that we deal with. But um, the sperm whales are kind of fun. I really love fin whales. Fin whales are one of those ones where we don't really know a whole lot about what happens. Um, and so the mystery that surrounds them is kind of intriguing for me with those guys. See many orcas? We do see orcas, yeah, not typically this time in the season, but later on, so say into like late July, August, September, we've even seen them into October, um, late October. Um, so, yeah, they're they're neat to see. Um, often when they come, they clear out a lot of the other whale species that are here because um, often they're feeding on other whales <laughs> when they're in our region as well, um, but it's fun to see them. We actually have a, a new zodiac that we just christened last week, and her name is Black Sails, and so um, that's what we call Call it when we see orcas. So all those black dorsal fins together look a little bit like the sails on you know a tall ship, um, and so we call them black sails when we see them.
1: Very curious too.
6: Yes, very curious. Mm-hmm. We've had some really interesting encounters with them over the years. Scary never scary i've never ever felt threatened by them we've actually witnessed them feeding several times and have even had them bring things to the boat almost like it's an offering like a gift um so that's happened two or three different times when we've um, witnessed them feeding on um, minke whales um so always interesting often like calves very curious um to look at you know the people in the boat the big orange cheesies as we call them in their flotation suits um, so always always really interesting to see them and intriguing. We are um, cataloging them and keeping, it, keeping track of who's where. And um, our friend Arlene Irvin compiles the catalog, and we've shared with um, various different organizations in the hopes that we might make some matches between our whales and, and sort of the Arctic population and, and populations in other areas that are not too far by water from us. But we haven't made any matches yet. So um, while the Pacific um, Northwest populations are really, well studied. Ours, there's not as much known about them. And so that, again, the mystery that surrounds them is very intriguing.
1: (laughs) For sure. And I understand that they can travel some really long distances.
6: They really can. I mean, I I even encountered someone in our shop yesterday who who said, you know, I, I only thought that these whales were um, in the Pacific, um, you know, off Vancouver Island, of course, and, and, uh, the Pacific Northwest of the United States. And so, you know, orcas are one of the most widely distributed species of whales, um, worldwide. And so, you know, when you look at it that way, it's not inconceivable that they'd be here and that they'd also be traveling, um, vast distances between populations as well.
1: So uh, this is still only May, early May for that matter. It It isn't even the uh, May 24th weekend yet, and you're already seeing guests. We
6: are, yeah. There's been, um, you know, a a lot of people like to travel in the shoulder season because they're not as um, having to plan out as much, and so there's a little bit more flexibility when you travel this time of year, and I think a lot of people that's really attractive for. Um, But we've had a number of people, you know, moving through the area for sure, Yeah.
1: And you've had some uh, other types of activity on the Bonavista Peninsula of late. There's been some film crews in that. Have you seen any of them? Um, We we have, yep. We have
6: seen a few of them on the the trips as well. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And so what are uh, people generally looking for? I know Newfoundland and Labrador is kind of unique because you go to other places and you go to um, so-called tourist traps and you end up in the queues and you end up seeing the same things and it's always kind of, you know, cookie cutter type of thing. But I hear a lot of people say that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians will give people a very authentic experience. Is that the kind of thing that you want to give your, your
6: customers? Absolutely. We want people to feel like they're they are um, they're here, they're having an experience. We, we move our boat around, so um, I have lots of people ask me sort of like, where does the trip go? And on any given day, it could be in a completely different area depending on where the animals are and which way the wind is and if there's an iceberg or not and, you know, all kinds of different things. So um, we work really hard to provide those sort of unique experiences for people and also for them to feel very much like they are... Um, you know learning something about the work that we do here and the animals that we're seeing and the challenges that they face um, so that's been that's been really important for us um, sort of our why for doing what we do
1: so uh, you're seeing a little more activity now in the spring. What about the falls? Are they similar?
6: Yeah, the fall is great here. I mean, as you know, you live here too, so um, we have great weather in the fall. it's much warmer than it is right now. <laughs> Um, The problem with the fall is that, depending on the year, we can lose a lot of days to weather if we have a a particularly active hurricane season. And so that sometimes causes issues for sort of squelching the fall um, tourism. Um, But we've had, you know, we've done trips even into November some years because there's still people in the area wanting to get out. That's amazing. And so the word is getting out then? It is, yeah. I mean, it's a little harder um, because... Sometimes the narrative when people are traveling across the island is that you know the whales have been gone for weeks or those kinds of things, and they come to this area. and I think they think we're lying to them when they see our sightings on the chalkboards on the side of the house that we you know saw whales yesterday, sort of thing. So, um, you know, word is getting out, and uh, we're working really hard to make sure that we're posting on social media and showing people what we're seeing all the time, so that they, they know what's happening in this area, even if it is a little bit different than um, you know what's happening in other areas.
1: Do you find the same thing uh, that a lot of your guests are coming
6: from places like Ontario? Um, we've had a really good sampling so far this year, a lot of um, from Ontario and Alberta, but we have a lot of people who visit from Europe as well. Um, we have a lot of people from the United States, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. But I would say, uh, I don't know, maybe half of our guests so far have been from Ontario.
1: So Europe that's great that's a that's a market we're hoping to yes <laughs> yeah yes. get a little yes. more recognition in
6: yes absolutely there's always been lots of european um visitors to this area as well so we have a lot of um people from Holland and people from England and people from, um, France in, in recent days we've had. Um, so it's, it's been really, um, really good. We've had a lot of German, um, travel groups come through over the years as well. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's really good to have this sort of diverse group of people. And it also um, really adds to the experience on the boat when you have people who have had different experiences and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat. So they're learning a lot, and you're learning a lot. That's right, yeah, yeah. And they're really craving
1: that that wilderness experience.
6: I think so, too, in the adventure sort of side of things. People really like that. And, you know, lots of days we're the only boats out there, you know, and so um, people love that, too, when they're coming from areas that are particularly crowded and populated, and we really don't have that here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about a big really. super tanker coming through and killing everybody.
6: Exactly, or just, like, traffic, you know, like, those kinds of things don't really exist for us out here on the Bonavista Peninsula, so um, it's uh, it's just kind of funny, you know. Uh, like, the other day I had to, someone was parked talking to someone else, I mean, in the road, and I had to wait for a second, you know, and that's pretty much as much traffic as I'll experience, really. <laughs> Well, Shauna, it's been a real pleasure
1: having a chat with you. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. No worries. It's great to talk to you, too. Thanks so much. Shauna Prince is uh, with a sea of whales out of Trinity and Princeton. Coming up, we'll get an update on Marathon Gold's operations in central Newfoundland. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break.
1: And we're back. Well, the Valentine Gold Mine in central Newfoundland is on track for first gold in early 2025. Some 500 people will be employed at the mine during the production phase. About 440 currently employed at the site while they're doing the construction. Matt Manson, President and CEO of Marathon Gold, gave the update this morning.
7: This is a project under construction. We're six months into the build. We just put our Q1 results, uh, financial results, yesterday and a project update, res- results prior to that. We do that quarterly. So we'll give you some photographs here and a snapshot of where the project is. Um, and just to remind you, we are central Newfoundland, located southwest of the, the traditional mining communities of Buckins, of Millertown, uh, Buckins Junction, Badger, Grapples, Windsor, Bishops Falls. Those are the communities within our social and economic area of influence. Uh, so we're about 80 kilometers down the road from Millertown. And gold at this site was actually first identified back in the mid 80s. Uh, there was exploration through here by Noranda and BP and BP Minerals and others before that. The first gold showings were found at Leprechaun Pond, which is that pond in the photograph there, uh, by actually by a guy called Tim Froud, who's currently the CEO of Sockerman. Um, so it goes back to then. During the 90s and into the 2000s, there was exploration by Richemont, Mountain Lake, and others. Marathon Gold got involved in 2010. And really, that's where the, the, the real heavy lifting began in terms of the expiration. So between 2010 and 2014, there was expiration at the Leprechaun deposit at a place called Valentine Hill, which is now the victory deposit, and also at a site called Frank, which we'll be talking about, because we're quite interested in that in that location um, again. Uh, by 2014, the Marathon deposit had been discovered and then the resource numbers began building up. By 2020, we had the buried deposit discovered, that the, was the third of our three pits in the mine plan. Three years of studies between 2018 and 2021, uh, we, uh, we went through environmental assessment process during that period, were released to environmental assessment last year on our 2 pit mine, we went back on a marathon, began construction late last year, uh, produced an updated feasibility that now brings Barry in with the three pit mine, and we've, we're on track for first gold the first quarter 25. So, like many mining projects, um, a long history here and a lot of hard work to, to bring us to this to this point. So, just to give you a reminder of what this project is, it's about five million ounces now in all categories, M and I and inferred, uh, good healthy grades, 1.9 gram per ton in the M and I resource open pitable gold, that updated feasibility study from December of last year, described a 14-year mine life, healthy reserve, um, you know, upwards of 200,000 ounces a year, produced for the first 12 years, uh, healthy valuation. Um, and as of the end of March, we were 27% completed, where uh, the CapEx is 463, that's a pin in the wall number from, um, from uh, October 31st, uh, healthy balance sheet. And we're putting out these quarterly project uh, KPIs um, every quarter, so health and safety is very important. Doing a good job there, no LTIs uh, so far since the construction began in October. 440 people employed at this project in some capacity, contractors and employees. Healthy representation from the from Labrador there. Um, 27% complete. Uh, at the end of March. And that's built up mostly at this stage by detail engineering and procurement. Construction of 9%, we're still just getting started, but you know, healthy progress there. And 403 million costs to complete at the end of March. We're getting guidance on cost here uh, as we go through this, uh, this process. And, and so far, so good here on terms of tracking to the, uh, to the overall plan.
1: So that's Matt Manson, president and CEO of Marathon Gold, uh, providing an update this morning on the Valentine gold mine in central Newfoundland. Well, inflation rose in April for the first time since it peaked last June, a move some economists say will test the Bank of Canada's decision to pause the hike in interest rates. If the economy does not cool as expected later this year, the consumer price index was up 4.4% compared with a year ago. The bump up was driven by mortgage interest costs that climbed 28.5% from a year ago as new home buyers and those renewing mortgages faced higher Interest rates. And a lot of uh, Canadians, uh, their travel plans now up in the air as WestJet pilots threaten to go out on strike on Friday to back their contract demands. After the union gave its strike notice, the airline issued a lockout notice. Debbie Rafford booked a flight from Vancouver to Hawaii back in November and is due to fly WestJet on Monday. She says she is beyond upset and frustrated with both sides as her vacation, which includes a non refundable condo booking, is now and limbo. Well, uh, Debbie is not alone there. And uh, in the days ahead, if anybody wants to um, contribute uh, and tell us what they think about that, they're welcome to do so. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone.